The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning. It is so wonderful to be here. I have enjoyed this so much this morning so far. I've been blessed um, by the, the worship and the words that have been spoken and the fellowship that is here and the warmth and the love. Um, this is my first time actually in this particular uh, new space for the Springs. And when I walked in, I just thought, wow, <laughs> good job. I mean, <laughs> Because um, when I first came to OC, this has been almost seven, eight years ago, it was still Quail, and so I was very familiar with that building, and, um, but it's just so great to be here. And thank you so much uh, for having me this morning. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is I, I love to, to speak the Word of God, but also when I get an opportunity uh, to speak from the Old Testament, that's even better. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do Isaiah 12 uh, this morning as we think about joy. So as I start this morning, I, um, there's a question that I keep hearing. I hear it on campus from students, from faculty, from uh, my neighbors, um, and it's this question. Are you ready for Christmas? Yeah, see, you know this, right? You know this question. Because the, the answer for some, I mean, my ans the answers that I get fall in two categories. One is... I need something. I am just so ready for a break. I need the rest. Yes, I want it to come. It can't come soon enough, right? Um, and it's going to be so great to be with family. And it's going to be so great to, you know, do whatever it is that I do. And it's just going to be really nice. But yeah, I'm ready for that. The other um, group of answers goes something like this. I am so not ready for Christmas. I haven't finished my shopping. I don't know what kind of food I'm going to have. I've got people coming over. I don't know where I'm going to put them. I am so stressed out thinking about all the stuff I have to do to get ready to be ready for Christmas. And just thinking about Christmas stresses me out. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> that the very event that is supposed to bring us rest stresses us out. Right? But this is, this is that space, right? Christmas kind of does this. It's a day, right? It's a very special day. Everybody looks forward to it, but it's loaded with a lot of stuff that kind of collides with each other. The expectation of rest, but yet in anticipation of that rest, there is trouble and there is anxiety. And there may be a little bit of dread and a little bit of, an, of um, anticipation or anxiety as we look forward to this day, right, that's coming, that we know and anticipate and hope that's going to bring us uh, rest and is going to bring us renewal. In many ways, when an event like Christmas happens, it kind of is a picture of how we as, as Christians live in the midst of hoping for that day that will come when we are one with the Lord, the kingdom comes fully in all of its fullness, uh, the heaven that we await for, all of those things, we look forward to that, we affirm that, that's all good, that's all right, 
But yet, in the middle of it, as we wait, there is trouble. There's difficulty. And in that difficulty, it comes from both the outside and it comes from both in the inside. So there's trouble that comes to us, and by, by trouble it can be difficulty, it can be distress, it can be any number of things that we just have to deal with in life, over a wide range of things that it could be. But some of that is completely beyond our control. Things like illness that we didn't ask for, financial issues we didn't ask for, uh, trouble with um, people or geography that we didn't anticipate, we don't have any control over other people's behavior, but that it does affect us. It can be things that have to do with um, just the, the, you know, jobs and careers and family and things that come to us from the outside that bring us trouble. And then there's even things from the inside that bring us trouble, right? That sense that maybe we're not quite where we're supposed to be. Or maybe that feeling of, if only, right? Um, we live long enough, if only I had done this, if only I had done that, if only I'd made that decision, if I hadn't done this, then maybe life would have turned out a little bit better. And so there's self-blame and self-deprecation that goes on. Perhaps it's a sense of maybe we have failed. Or maybe that, you know, we just aren't maybe the person we quite want to be yet. And that comes from the inside. No one's imposing that, but it kind of comes from the inside. And in all of these things, we just want it to get better, don't we? <laughs> and a lot of times what we will say is, when's this going to be over? When's it going to be over? When's it going to stop? When's it going to be over? How do I get rid of it? How do I move on? And, we're, and we get stuck. We don't know quite what to do about this. And so we ask people, um, and, you know, very well-meaning people, and you've all been through this, you'll explain what's going on in your life, and they will say something like, oh, don't worry, it'll get better. And my response to that, sometimes I don't say it, but my response inside is, okay, great, when? Thank you for your encouragement, but I need it to be better now, right? I need things to work out today, <laughs> because I'm tired of dealing with all this stuff, right? When is it going to get better? When is that day going to come when it's all done with? And what we realize in that moment is that we have this God-sized problem, right? That we need, we're, we're at point A, and we need to get to point B, but we don't know how to do that at all. We've tried everything, we've read every book, we've been to every counselor, we've done the therapy, we've done all the stuff, and we're still at point A. When is God going to show up and move us from A to B? That's what we need. Is, and, and many times the way we say it in life is, I, who's going to save me from this? I need, I need to be saved. I need to be delivered. I need to be rescued. I need to, I need to move from A to, to B, but I don't know how to do it. And in that moment is when the anxiety starts to kind of bubble up. And I think it's in that moment 
that moment when we kind of know intellectually that at the end of time, God will come, God will redeem, God will bring everything, which he's going to through Jesus. But there's also the here and now where we have to live. And I believe it's in this kind of a moment that we can touch base with, I think, what the, the real meaning of this season tries to, uh, to put before us which is even in the midst of trouble, we can have joy. That joy, which is the certainty that God is with us, that God is going to do God's work in us, no matter how we might feel about it, God is at work. God is going to bring us where we need to be. God is going to do a work in us, and we can have that knowledge, that certainty, even in the midst of the trouble. Because you've lived long enough, I have to know that sometimes the trouble doesn't actually go away. But how do we live in the midst of that trouble? And we live in the, the midst of that through Holy Spirit-inspired joy. Joy is that knowledge of who God is and what God is doing, that God is faithful, that God will bring about everything God said he was going to do, regardless of circumstances. And so when we think about, well, what is Christmas really about? Well, newsflash, it's actually really more than about the manger. Because Jesus comes, and that's great, and that's wonderful to be celebrated because that's when hope appears in the flesh in the world. But it's also about the completed work of Jesus on the cross, the ascended Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who now lives in us and in our communities through the power of the Holy Spirit and gives us as a fruit of that spirit, as a fruit of that indwelling Christ, gives us joy. Now, the book of Isaiah, in the first 12 chapters, talks to us about that in terms of Israel's history. And one of the things I love about the book of Isaiah is that pretty much no matter where you turn in Isaiah, and no matter how badly things may look in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah never leaves us without hope. My hope, right here. the hope of a microphone. <laughs> Love it. Everything is an example, right? Um, <laughs> Preacher School 101. Turn everything into an example. Um, <laughs> okay, so now we get to do Isaiah. Um, so um, in the first 12 chapters of Isaiah, it's like a microcosm of the entire book. Because Isaiah 1 starts with trouble... And Isaiah 12 ends with victory. And it's that path from Isaiah 1 to 12 that is so instructive for us. Because Isaiah 1, and this is something that's so arresting about the book of Isaiah, is that if you read the prophets, there's normally a nice little introduction to who the prophet is, where the prophet came from, maybe who the prophet's parents are, <laughs> something like that. Isaiah doesn't do that. In fact, Isaiah doesn't get introduced until chapter 6. The first five chapters are about what a train wreck Israel is. 
Israel has completely failed. Isaiah chapter 1, the most vitriolic vocabulary in the book of Isaiah, in fact, probably in all of the Old Testament, God says, point blank, I hate your worship. I hate it. You know why I hate it? Because you do it, but you don't understand why you're doing it, and you're missing the point. The whole point is to take care of people. The whole point is to look around you and see who are the widows, the orphans, the disenfranchised, the people that really need you to be there for them, be my instruments, be my servant, and you're not doing that. Instead, you're lifting prayers, you're singing songs, but you've missed who I am, and you are my people. And when Isaiah gets done with that, then he talks about what the people in Jerusalem are like. You know, it's just this horrible picture. And then in chapter 5 of Isaiah, God compares Israel to a vineyard. And God was, had this beautiful vineyard that he was planting, and it had great plans for this vineyard. But the vineyard failed. And so what am I going to do with this vineyard? I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I have to destroy it and start over. If I were Israel reading this in our language today, talk about a bad self-image. I mean, it's bad enough <laughs> when we think we've failed. But what if when the prophet of God comes to you and point blank says, no, it's not just that you think it, you have failed. I mean, that's harsh, right? And so is God done? I mean, the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, it's essentially the job description nobody wants. Oh, Isaiah, by the way, I'm going to send you to preach to people, and guess what? They're not going to listen. But as we would say today, but go in peace. <laughs> Bless your heart. You know? Yeah, this, this is the day in, in, in ministry and preaching classes people don't like. It's like, to be a minister, you have to either be called by God or you're crazy. Because if, it's true, if, if, you, do, if you do not hear the call of God in your life, you're not going to make it, right? Because this, this is that job of saying, of calling people back to God and you know, it's not until we get, you know, past the call of Isaiah, I mean, that, that very difficult call in Isaiah's life. He goes to Ahab, right, goes to the royal courts, and we've got this king that has feet of jelly and just doesn't want to hear the word of the Lord. Example number one. God even begs Ahaz, give, I, want, I want you to, you know, ask me for a sign. I'm going to give you a sign to let you know that your enemies will not prevail. They're not going to. And Ahaz refuses to do that. And so as we go through the, 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 the punishment on Israel and the, and the, the way that, that God just, just cannot get Israel to move, he says in chapter 10, as we move closer now to chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. There is a day coming, 
that day. And on that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on the one who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the tr in truth. A remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people Israel will like sand on the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in all the earth. Therefore, says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians when they beat you with the rod and lift their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a letter, very little while, my indignation will come to an end. My anger will be directed to their destruction. The Lord of hosts will make a whip against them as when he struck down Midian. Verse 27, on that day his burden will be removed from your shoulder and his yoke will be destroyed from your neck. Israel is going to be freed. God's anger is going to turn into deliverance. This is the day that the Israelites are, are waiting for. And it's in this context, then, that we have the finish in chapter 12. Because on that day, when that work of God is completed, Israel, who has had such a bad history, Israel will experience, the remnant will experience a day of deliverance, a day of salvation. Chapter 12, you will say, in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were very angry with me, your anger turned away from me and you comforted me. That's good news, isn't it? This is good news for Israel. Surely my God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. This is the confession of Israel that God is, is the one who delivers. God is the one who does the impossible. God is the one who does what we cannot imagine and what Israel cannot imagine, which is the deliverance from this, this point of failure to a point where God is going to comfort them. God is going to do with them what is going to bring them into fullness. But it's something that God is going to do. And what I think is very interesting here is that you, in the very opening one, and you will say on that day, I will give thanks. That's singular. Each person will be able to say that. It's not just the collective, but in this opening verse, it's individuals. Everybody's going to be able to say that. And then in verse 3, with, with joy, you will draw water from the well of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make his deeds among the nations known, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all of the earth, shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel." And as verse 3 starts, it's the you collective. Not only will every individual say it, but the whole of the remnant will say it together. 
this is the, the, the picture of a God who saves, of a God who delivers, of a God who does what people think are not possible. It's the God who redeems. It's the God who has the ability to do this. And it's a God who then, once done, wants all of us, each person, to be able to proclaim the mighty deeds of God and to be able to come together, much as we have done this morning, and to praise him for what he has done. And why this, I think, is so instructive for us is because that first part of Isaiah depicts pretty much as bad as it can get, right? This failure of being what you're supposed to be. But a God who delivers from that and comforts and brings healing and brings restoration and brings us to where we are supposed to be. Ultimately, this happens, and it's happened for each one of us who have called upon the name of the Lord, who, who, who have put on Jesus Christ and receives, who has received his spirit. And that way, the, the, the becoming who we are supposed to be, who God created us to be, and that work done by the risen Christ, done through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, has begun already. Our job is to connect with that so that we now are no longer held back, but we move forward in power and in victory and in strength. Three things I want to say about joy this morning before we close. As I think about how joy actually plays into our life, this certainty of what God is going to do. Because you see, in the 12th chapter of Isaiah, there's a lot of Israel's history left to go. But, at the, but relatively early in the book of Isaiah, God promises hope. God says, you are going to have joy. And the purpose of that is to enable them in the midst of this trouble to have certainty and have faith that God is at work. And it's not dependent on whether we see it or not. And so the first thing I want to say about joy as it applies to us, and, and certainly first, it's, the recognition that joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It is produced in us by God's Spirit. Joy is not a prisoner to mood. I'm going to say that again. Joy is not a prisoner of mood. And by mood, I'm talking about how we feel about things. By mood, I'm talking about our dispositions, even, I'll go so far as to say, is our personalities. Joy is given to us by God to produce hope. And it's not dependent on whether the circumstances that bring us difficulty are ever fixed. I remember right before Christmas, this would have been about 13 years ago, when my wife had just unexpectedly passed away. It was our first Christmas without her, and my daughter and I were in the living room putting a tree up. I actually didn't know how we were gonna get through that. But she said to me one of the most insightful things, and I've never forgotten it. She said, why is it that I thought that just because we were a minister's family that people loved, 
that we would be exempt from tragedy. Why did I think that? I said, honey, I don't know. I don't know how, why I thought it. I don't know why any of us think things like that, which are obviously not true. <laughs> um, but I said, what, we, what I do know is that God is going to get us through this. I can't tell you how, but it's breath by breath by breath. And I can tell you now, 13 years later, God has triumphed gloriously in our lives. And it's all him. He was faithful. He did that. And the thing about this is that sometimes I think because our culture is so feeling-based, it's all about how we feel about stuff. And so our spiritual lives go like this, right? Because we ride the feelings wave. But joy is permanent. Joy is in us by God's strength and by God's power, right? It doesn't have anything to do with whether circumstances change or whether we're even necessarily having a good day or a bad day, right? It's there, and as we, as we reflect on what God has done for us, that joy starts to bubble up and begins to fill us. Second thing I want to say about joy is that joy, when we are connecting with the joy that's in us, joy moves us beyond, I'm going to use the word obsessing, about fixing problems based on our own ability and shifts our focus to what God can do by God's ability. Joy reminds us that it is God who is at work. It is God who is giving us confidence. It is God who is giving us breath. It is God who's getting us up every morning. It's God who's helping us make the coffee every morning. It's God who is moving us to who he wants us to be. It is not dependent on my ability. We came to the end of our ability a long time ago. Amen? Amen. We realized a long time ago, I can't, I can't fix my life. But God works in the brokenness to bring about who he wants us to be. And we can have joy about that. The last thing, the third thing I want to say about joy, it's because of joy that we have hope. Joy is at the very center of how we can hope from one day to the next. Before we close, I'd like to read to you because the, the scripture says it all. <laughs> Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work that you do in us. Father, thank you for the joy that we can have. Thank you for sending that joy into our hearts. And Father, I pray this morning for each person here 
and for this congregation as a whole. I pray, Father, that you would release that joy in our hearts in ever-increasing measure. I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that's blocking us, blocking our spirits from really feeling, from really sensing and understanding, even feeling the joy, that you will remove that so that no matter where we find ourselves today, we can say and experience and confess the joy of the Lord, your joy that is our strength, that is our might, and that is our salvation. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.